Hello and welcome to Accommodate Unplugged on Wednesday, the 8th of April 2020. Mark Pender is on US East Coast, Ron Jackson's in Sydney, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Sadly, the coronavirus death toll continues to mount, but financial markets are clearly looking for light at the end of a tunnel. From its low point on March the 23rd, the MSCI World Index has risen around 19%. Its emerging markets counterpart is up 16%. And the US, the S&P 500 is up round about 25%. Whatever happened to the bear market? So the question becomes, can investors continue to look through what will be a possibly protracted period of very, very weak economic data? Will the weight of the impending global recession prove too much to handle? Anyway, let's see where we stand now. Bron, it's been a few weeks since we had you on the podcast. So perhaps you can kick things off with an update of the Southern Hemisphere, particularly China, where on paper, at least, I guess, things do seem to be looking a little bit better. Yeah, I guess uh, the, the PMI surveys are, are the best uh, num- summary numbers to look at what's going on. And they are sort of following the pattern that you probably would expect from just reading the news and, and sort of hearing about the um, all the anecdotal evidence of what's happening uh, in, in these countries, particularly China. So with China, we had obviously the very uh, large drop in those PMI uh, headline uh, index- indices um, for February. Um, that was to be expected. Uh, and then what we've seen with the March PMIs, which came out, um, you know, sort of at the start of this month, is that, um, you know, the, the headline indices have, have picked up a bit. That's not to say that, um, you know, the economy has bounced back, but it's just sort of stabilising or close to stabilising around the low levels that we saw in February. So, um, you know, not really um, indicating that we're sort of uh, getting a recovery yet, but at least that, you know, the damage has been sort of contained and hopefully, um, you know, stabilised and we can sort of see some improvement going forward. You know, it, it is good to see that um, the uh, official PMI numbers that uh, Chinese uh, authorities put out have been, you know, generally um, uh, coinciding with, the, you know, a, a, the private sector PMI survey. So, you know, we can have some sort of... Um, you know, confidence in, in that they're both basically saying the same thing, that there has been that stabilisation and uh, that will um, also hopefully uh, be reflected in the uh, the key activity numbers that we're going to be seeing uh, for March uh, in, in the next couple of weeks coming out of China um, and also the GDP number. Okay, but can I ask you about this, you know, the state of the coronavirus out there? It seems that um, there's this sort of gradual easing of some of you know, the lockdown measures and, and so forth. Is there any kind of concern that perhaps this is too early and the lockdown should continue for longer just to make sure that everything has been sorted out? Or is there a general sense that, OK, you know, it's been handled and we're, we're over that now and now we're starting to look towards some kind of recovery? Uh, of course, it varies from uh, country to country. Even this week, we've seen... Um, you know, Japan uh, declare a state of emergency in, in some of the big cities there. Uh, and so that's, um, you know, ramping up uh, some of the restrictions. Similarly, in uh, Singapore and Hong Kong, they've tightened a few of the, few of the restrictions. But in China, uh, they've removed the lockdown on Wuhan. So, um, you know, across the region, you know, people are seeing different uh, numbers coming through in terms of uh, cases uh, and reacting differently. So it's hard to sort of... Um, you know, generalise about what the response has been. But, you know, we are definitely uh, seeing the, the you know, the, the centre of the epidemic has, has moved from Asia then to Europe and now to North America. 
Uh, but there is definitely concerns that, um, you know, that there will be a sort of second wave going through this region. Mm-hmm. Of course, here in Australia, we've had um, uh, some success, uh, I think, in containing the spread. But, of course, we're coming up to our winter in the next few months as well. And so there's some uncertainty about, um, you know, how that's going to play out once we move into that season. So, you know, there's just been a range of responses and, and a range of reactions um, across the region. I guess the other big question at the moment is Japan. I mean, as you mentioned, they've, they've announced this state of emergency now. And I think what they've also come out with this big fiscal reflation package. Yeah. Why, do you, why do you think it's been compared to the rest of, sort of the industrialized world? Japan seems to be quite a long way behind in terms of the curve and in, in the reaction process. Why do you think that's been the case? And indeed, is the danger that they've left it too late and any kind of downturn in Japan might be that much deeper as a result of that? Oh, I think there's been you know waves of responses um, f- from authorities. You know, they they did uh, act pretty quickly in in some respects. To um, you know, they I remember they shut down the schools and they uh, put other uh, restrictions in place pretty quickly. Uh, you know, the Bank of Japan um, has moved um, to you know to improve liquidity and to um, you know really you know try and make sure that monetary policy is doing all it can to support the economy. But, yeah, definitely, we've had now the fiscal um, sort of uh, package really amp up. They've had a few responses before that, but um, it's, it's, it's picked up definitely um, now. You know, the thing about Japan also is that, you know, their manufacturing sector, even going into this um, uh, crisis, was already uh, pretty weak. Uh, and so this has just sort of compounded that problem. Um, but, you know, they've, they've definitely, um, you know, put in a pretty strong reaction now. You know, their fiscal package is worth... Yeah, close to twenty percent of GDP. So um, you know they're they're trying to do the the bit, but um, you know there was definitely some uh, some issues in in I think responding to you know acknowledging just the size of the problem early on. Uh, Brian, this is Mark. Uh, speaking of GDP, yeah. Chinese GDP for the first quarter is coming out next week. Yes, um, and I've, I, I'm just looking at. You know, a large contraction, year-on-year contraction in the, in the low double digits, um, and uh, I guess that's going to be one of the very first uh, views that we're going to get on the GDP impact because uh, China it started earlier in January and February. Um, if we, um, in along with GDP in, in the coming week, we're also going to get industrial production and retail sales out of China, and those will be for March. And the uh, perhaps if we see improvement in March relative to January and February, I wonder what that would do to our own outlook for the global um, GDP if we're already in the worst of it now and it's going to get better. Is, is that a possibility that we'll be seeing next week with the Chinese GD- or with the uh, GDP numbers? Yeah, well, I mean, if the PMI numbers are an indication you know, hopefully they'll at least show some stabilisation from, um, you know, the real uh, the real hit that we took in February. So, yeah, we will be looking for, for those March numbers to, to sort of show some improvement. Um, that, that said, you know, the, the scale of the, of, the, uh, of the hit that we took in January and February suggests that, yeah, you will get um, a pretty weak number for the quarter as a whole. But, um, you know, if, if we're looking on, on a month-to-month basis... Um, you know, it, it could be a story of some stable, you know, stabilisation in March, and then looking forward, perhaps you know, some sort of recovery starting to take place in April. And that's, I think, suggesting that you know, probably the the 
the impact in, in China is, is perhaps one month ahead of what, where it is elsewhere. Um, mm. Yeah, you've definitely seen that in the PMI numbers. Uh, elsewhere in the regions, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, Japan, you know, you, you saw a bigger uh, hit to the PMI numbers in March, uh, whereas in, in China it was February. And so, um, you know, you're still definitely going to see, once the GDP numbers come out for the rest of the region, um, a, a big move, but sort of concentrated later in the quarter. Oh, real quickly, now, we have those Econodays calendar. We have those on um, Friday, uh, April 17th. Yeah. Um, is that a fixed date? Have the Chinese actually fixed those dates or are those estimates or for the GDP and industrial production and retail sales? Well, we're pretty confident that that's when those numbers will come out. But, uh, you know, they, they haven't, um, uh, you know, really nailed down their, their data mm -hmm. schedule for the whole year like they normally do. So there is a, a little bit of um, leeway around that. But, yeah, we're pretty pretty sure that that's um, when they're going to come out. They're normally around that time of the month. And, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. Okay, thanks, Brian. But before we let you go, um, since we last spoke to you, we've had what both the Reserve Banks of Aussie and Kiwi um, introducing quantitative easing um, due to the impact of the coronavirus, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do you think this, as you know, once we get through all this process, this is going to lead to some kind of sort of fundamental review of monetary policy in your part of the world? in the same sort of way as the ECB at the moment and in, in my part of the world in continental Europe, you know, are they reviewing their overall monetary strategy? The fact that they're being prepared to go out and introduce quantitative easing, is this a fundamental shift or just a, a one-off emergency action and something they won't contemplate using in the future? I think they would prefer it to be just a, you know, an emergency measure and you know, they'd like to return to the business as usual once you know, we get through this. Uh, but of course, you know the the risk is that it's it's more protracted than uh, they're thinking at the moment, and that they will have to to you know keep on doing this for for quite some time. And you know the the, the problem is, of course, is that you know going into the crisis, uh, policy rates were already pretty low, historically low, uh, mm -hmm. and they just never had that opportunity to get them back up to to um, you know more normal levels that would then allow you to to adjust policy rates, uh, uh, you know, due to the normal cyclical factors that come along. So, you know, there is a risk that it, they'll, they'll um, sort of be in place for longer than they, they want to. But, uh, you know, I think they would prefer to, to get back to, you know, the way they used to do things. Okay, fair enough. Okay, then, Mr. Pender, what is going on on your side these days? Uh, initial jobless claims. Uh, they have, they doubled in the, in the prior two weeks from 3.3 million to 6.6 .6 million. But they're, it, uh, much like the infection rate, it's, we look at, at a slower uh, rate of build here, that at least for the coming week, uh, where the kind of day consensus is 5 million. Now, the consensus hasn't, has been all over the place, and it's really anyone's guess. But uh, right now, it's the, you know, we're revealing week by week just how badly damaged the U.S. labor market is. Now, let me ask uh, uh, you guys, I mean, are, do you see any labor markets as badly hit as the U.S.? Well, so I think in terms of Europe, I can say so far, no, although we are starting to see some early indications because, you know, typically in Europe, figures come out rather rather behind your side of the pond. But there are some early indications that we will begin to see some fairly large increases in unemployment across uh, right, right all, all of Europe, and including the UK. But it's kind of more survey based at the moment rather than being in the hard data. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, here in, here in Australia, uh, yeah, I, I definitely you know, expect to see a pretty sharp jump up in unemployment. You know, the government has put in um, some policies trying to really uh, do all it can to keep people in, in their jobs. You know, there's been wage uh, subsidies, basically, to try and encourage businesses to hold on to those workers, at least uh, for the next few months. So hopefully that will uh, put a dent in it. But, yeah, there's inevitably going to be some reaction. In Japan, we, we also um, saw in the latest uh, labor market numbers a tick up in unemployment and slower employment growth. But, again, there, there might be um, a more willingness uh, amongst uh, Japanese firms to hold on to workers for a bit longer if they can as well. Yeah, I might mention just in terms of, I mean, looking at Ireland, I mean, as you know, I think you know, people accept trying to forecast these things uh, – these days is kind of anyone's guess but the Irish Central Bank came out earlier on this week and and they were basically saying that just assuming a sort of a kind of a normal distribution uh, as far as the coronavirus is concerned they'd expect to see local unemployment hit 25 percent uh, during the course of this year so that's a you know a significant obviously a significant shakeout and uh, indeed they're talking about uh, GDP for for Ireland as a country contracting mm-hmm. by 8.3 percent in mm-hmm. 2020 mm-hmm. so there are some big numbers coming out well you asked the question at the beginning Jeremy will the markets look look past this awful uh, data that's going to be coming out. Yeah, I mean, I, I really do I do wonder that. I mean, it does seem. I think you know, in previous sort of podcasts we talked about you know, the numbers t- you know, to concentrate on for investors who are looking how are these markets going to go. We know that as far as equity is concerned, they tend to be very, very forward looking. So fair enough. When you take something like a PMI, yes, you got the headline index, but within the breakdown, we always you know tend to pick out things like the orders sub index as a kind of a guide to what the sort of pipeline demand is with a view to judging future activity but now it seems at least well for the moment anyway investors are going sort of the next step and just simply taking the view that right we'll look at what's happening to you know the coronavirus figures and once we mm-hmm. start start to see any kind of a hint of a peaking in those and we touch wood we've got bits of that coming through in the likes of italy and spain now then they seem to be taking well that's it it's all over now and by the way we got this mi- massive you know, global fiscal and monetary expansion, and that's all we need. But mm-hmm. you do wonder that, I mean, there's going to be some pretty awful numbers coming up. And I should mention in terms of this, I mean, there's very few hard numbers coming out of Europe yet, but um, somewhat unexpectedly, we did have some figures out of the Bank, of, the National Bank of France this morning. Now, these aren't the official GDP numbers because it's uh, ANSI, the, uh, the stats guys who put those together. But the Bank of France came out and indicated they expect to see um, on their studies and everything else that first quarter French GDP will be down on a quarter on quarter basis, 6%. So annualized U.S. style, that's 24 percent. And they see that over the second two weeks of March, so after they introduce their big lockdown, they see economic activity, they regard economic activity as having plunged 32 percent. And they're expecting um, economy to contract by about one and a half percent for every two weeks that the country is continuing to face a lockdown. So, I mean, we've, you know, these numbers are still, I think, a, I can't say back of an envelope. That's probably a little bit unfair. But it really does give a, you know, an idea of just some of the, you know, the magnitudes of that we could see in the upcoming data over coming months. And then, you know, go back to your question. Will investors see that and think, oh, my Lord, oh, should we really be buying equities at these levels? 
But it's the length of that lockdown that we don't know. And the exactly. longer it is, the longer this gap is going to be in um, in production and stuff. So, and, um, and there's also the issue of you know, paying for all this uh, stimulus that uh, you know, government's putting in place as well. And you know, we've seen you know, some talk about rating agencies uh, you know, looking very closely at um, you know just the long term sustainability of it. Mm. It is. I suppose it comes also back to, at the end of the day, though, we've got all this money floating around global financial markets. Where is it going to go? Now, I think we can see from some of the money supply numbers that, you know, clearly there's a strong preference for cash at the moment. But ultimately, investors have got to try and make some kind of return. So what do you do? I mean, do you start thinking, well, look, if the coronavirus numbers are getting slightly better, you pile in the equity markets and we end up just continuing on the kind of upward spiral that, you know, investors have come so used to over the last several years now to the extent that perhaps there's going to be an even bigger fall at some point in the future or it's got to go somewhere else. Somehow or other, at some point, these central banks are going to start having to, you know, claw back all this money they put into, you know, to keep credit markets flowing, to keep liquidity flowing through the system or the things seem to be going to fall apart. So, difficult times. Um, any else from your mark from your side of the world, Mark, that is worth pointing out? Um, Have you got well, any good news? Give us give us some good news. Some good news. Give us some good uh, news. Well, I think that the good news is is that the um, break it lower um, is going to make you know the comparisons easier. I mean, I hate to look at you know I, I you know that's the, the silver lining in a way, and that's I think what we're seeing with China, and I do see like you said, Spain and Italy. There's clearly, um, you know, a lower rate of infection, and the the sooner that that leads to the withdrawal of the shutdowns, the sooner the economic data will just start flying high. Let's hope so. I must say, since we you know, the three of us talking on this, I'd be interested in what people's views are on the kind of recovery. I mean, I'll stick mine for what it's worth in first. I think, you know, these financial markets appear to be taking the view that it's going to be essentially a V-shaped recovery. So, you know, we get the bad news. Once it's out of the way, then we kind of get back to normal relatively quickly. My big worry would be that given the damage which is going to be done to you know, the structural economies all around the world uh, over the course of the next few months. So, you know, the loss of what would have been investment, uh, the loss of jobs, the number of companies, perfectly respectable companies, uh, self-financing companies, which will go under as a result of the coronavirus or essentially no fault of their own. It could mm -hmm. actually take quite a long while to get back to where we would have been without the coronavirus in the first place. But mm -hmm. I wonder, so let's say, Brian, from your part of the world, what's the kind of, well, your sense or indeed the general sense out there about what sort of shape the recovery will take when we finally get there? Uh, again, it, it varies. Um Across countries and, and across perspectives, uh, I, I think um, that there is some hope that uh, you know the, the numbers out of China will bounce back pretty quickly. Uh, if um, you know there there is success in actually getting uh, things back to work uh, over there, um, if they've managed to contain um, you know the the spread of the disease, if they manage to avoid a second wave going through, then you know. Perhaps you know people will get back to work pretty quickly. Factories will uh, ramp up production to sort of make up for lost ground, and you will see a, a pretty sharp response there. You know, and if that happens, then you know I, I, you will see um, flow-on effects to other sort of 
you know, cogs in the supply chain around the region, and that will be a, you know, a, a big help. Um, but you know, it just really depends on whether um, you know we avoid sort of a second wave or, or other issues about that. Um, here in Australia, um, you know, there is a bit of confidence that you know the the, the, the fiscal stimulus and, and the and the economic support has been really targeted about trying to keep um, you know s- you know strong businesses in a holding pattern and, and, and avoid that risk of, you know, widespread um, bankruptcies and, and um, you know, shutdowns, just trying to hold on until, you know, we, we get through to the other side. Uh, so, again, if that happens, you know, you, you, you can have a bit of confidence that, um, you know, we, we can bounce back. But, you know, again, whether it's V or U or, you know, a, a Nike swoosh, I, I'm not 100% at the moment because yeah, <laughs> we, we just don't have um, the – the clarity on the outlook for the disease. Um, and yeah. so you sort of need that clarity before you can then proceed to the economics of it. No, fair enough. We're at your side, Mark. Also, is there, is there a kind of consensus? What sort of shape no, this recovery is going to take? Uh, no, there is no consensus, but it's interesting that you should, um, we just had the FOMC minutes this afternoon and, uh, the fed in their minutes, uh, several weeks back in one of their emergency meetings last uh, month, basically listed two different um, um, scenarios. The first, a decline in GDP and rise in unemployment rate, um, followed by a rebound in the second half of this year. Or the second one, a full-fledged recession this year with recovery delayed until next year. So that's Did they attach the, any probabilities to these? Or no, the, I think the first one, no, this is, um, their, their minutes are done in a kind of a, for them, a conversational style, but uh, and uh, so, but you, you know, the number one has significance. So that that apparently, and and you know, they try to be upbeat. So and they did everything they possibly could at the meeting. They cut, you know, the Fed funds target by hundred basis points. They added seven hundred billion dollars yeah, of new sure. QE. And they've since done, you're talking about um, bankruptcies, a, a whole array of different kind of loan backstopping across markets. Um, and uh, so they're doing everything they can. The central bank, the government's another issue. They're, they're not as fast. They're, they're showing themselves for economic policy to be less flexible, to be less certain. Um, but anyway, the Fed having it, there are, uh, them on your side can't hurt. And so, I, you know, and I would say, I guess I'm a, on the V camp, at least for the numbers, um, because the base is going to be so low. But how soon you can re-gear your employment force, your labor force, get it back into swing, get it all, everyone, you know, back in their place, that has never been tried before. But, and so we'll see how that turns out. Uh, lots of unknowns. This whole thing is a, is a huge unknown from the very beginning, you know. Is unknown probably being the, the operative word. Okay, um, so I'll just round off from my side um, the latest news on Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, who is still in the intensive care unit as we record this podcast, but ostensibly is responding to treatment now. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, I suppose just to up people in terms of what that means for how UK policy works, as um, things currently stand while the Prime Minister is still uh, in intensive care, uh, the Foreign Secretary Dominic Rabb 
He's the uh, first Secretary of State. And so as he's appointed as uh, Boris Johnson's number two, so he'll effectively be running the government at the moment um, without wishing to be miserable about these things. But if it were the worst case and uh, Boris Johnson were to, unable to be returned to his role, then it would open the, kind of a can of worms in terms of what would happen to UK government policy in the sense that we don't have a written constitution. And it would mean that uh, although Dominic Raab is uh, ostensibly Johnson's number two, he wouldn't necessarily be uh, the chosen leader with regards to the overall Tory party and we could end up with a new leadership challenge so that's just something to keep an eye on but touch wood Boris Johnson does appear to be over the worst now so hopefully things will work out okay there all right then uh, so let's call it a day for this week um, on behalf of Mark Brown and myself thanks as always for listening do stay safe remember the data also do still matter so keep up to date with all the major numbers and events in Econoday's global economic calendar and we'll be back next week we'll see you then bye for now <laughs>